Okay. Hello, welcome to another episode of Hot Take Time with Pete, John, and for the first time, we actually have a guest, um, Anthony, who uh, I met through a watch event a couple of weeks ago, uh, well, probably close to a month and a bit ago now, um, and happens to live very, very close to the two of us, actually, but we're for the first time as well, so a few groundbreaking first today, so we have a, our first guest and our first time not doing the podcast in person, our first time using Zencaster, which was a lot of fun to get set up through no fault of Zencaster, just through our inability to grasp technology as a as a as a trio. Um, but we will do a wristwatch check. So interesting one today, probably. Uh, why don't we start with you, Anthony? What what do you got for us today? Well, thanks for having me today as well, guys. But I've uh... I've bought the old vintage Monaco from about 69. Yep. So tell us a little bit about this Monaco, Anthony. This is, this is the first of the Monacos ever, or? It is, yes. The first the first release. Um, okay. That's the one where, uh, obviously, it's famous for um, Steve McQueen wearing it in, in the movie. Um, a bit of a story behind this one. I actually practiced on eBay for a while. And then I went over to Tasmania to actually go and collect it from the, from the couple that, that owned it. Um, flew in, met him in the airport, flew back out, and came home with it. And um, it's been it's been a great piece. It's really it's one of those vintage pieces that I think uh, a lot of collectors sort of lust after. Uh, so really really happy to have it. Yeah, and I remember when we were at the Tag Heuer event that we met. Uh, you know, even uh, Nicholas, I can't pronounce his last name. Nicholas uh, Bebeck. Yep, the heritage, the global heritage director for Tag, was quite impressed by some of your pieces, in particular this one. So we'll come back to um, we'll come back to your Tag affinity in a little bit, but uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the history of the Monaco and, and especially the one that you've got. Um, Pete, what are you wearing today, or what do you have? What I am wearing, well, what I was wearing, but because I'm a veteran and I know to take these things off so you can put it in the camera, um, a watch that you should know. I think I bought this from you. Yes. The, yes. the Breitling Avenger uh, GMT. Yes. Very, very cool watch. Continue cool to watch. love that watch. And I ducked out for a second because I think I can pair with Anthony and I also broke out my Breitling, also Caliber 11. Um, little micro rotor internal, everything's on the wrong side. That's not focusing. Why are you not focusing? There we go. So there's that one as well. So we can have our own little party of movements that are getting ready to explode. <laughs> um, well, in the spirit of things we've acquired from each other, um... <laughs> So I'm actually, oh man, I, this camera is so bright. It's probably not going to focus at all. I, I don't know what to do with this. Thing. Cover your face. Cover. The, it's, it's the ring light thing. Anyways, it's bloody terrible. I don't know if this is any better. Bloody technology, man. I don't know how to turn this ring light thing off either. This is, we're, you know what, Pete? We're not even going to cut this part out because, you know, I deserve it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, think... I deserve this, this stupidity um, of how to... I don't even know how to turn this light off. Anyways, so it's a tag. It's a Hoya Carrera 
160th, well, you probably know this better than me, Anthony, but 160th anniversary Montreal, is that is that what it is? That's the one, Montreal, yep. Montreal. Limited edition to 1,000 pieces. Yep, and uh, I, you know, Anthony and I did a trade on something this week, and so this is in my position. It's, um, I've put it on a, in, in typical me, I've put it on a lovely AliExpress um, <laughs> bracelet, um, which probably doesn't really do it justice, but actually looks pretty damn good, and, and it's like a beads of rice-looking thing. Um, but hey, this is so much fun. Um, so I've been wearing it every day. It's great. Um, so speaking about tags, Anthony, tags very much your domain. Tell us a bit about how you got into the brand, and it, you know, and and just we've spoken about tag a few times on the podcast, and I'm not sure if we've always been terribly friendly about it, um, about the brand. Uh, I think you know we've always said that they've got a very rich history. They've got a, re- a lot of uh, cool models you know the carrera the monaco um you know even the 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 aqua racer in more recent times has been very um has been very you know uh, a very popular part of the lineup but they also get a lot of flack right you know tag and hublot they also they both get a lot of flack about um maybe being overpriced for the movements that you that you get in some of the entry-level models and um and obviously they were one of the first ones to jump on a smartwatch train them and mont blanc i think were the the first two kind of to get into the smartwatch thing so um and i think in the watch collector world tags had a bit of a resurgence lately in the last couple of years people are finding more to love about the brand how did you get into it um anthony and why is it like you know your favorite brand to to own and collect well my my first tag was when i was about 19 years old my first pay packet um when i first started the full-time work um actually my first two pay packets actually um i bought a tag um i bought an SEL, uh, was back in the 90s and um since then i've just um i've always liked motor racing as well so you know tag motor racing go hand hand in hand um you know, I've always had an affiliation with the brand and I've just sort of over the years just sort of collected and bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold again. <laughs> um, many, many pieces. Um, yeah, so that's that's where, where it all started from, probably when I was about yeah, 19 years old and now I'm the ripe old age of 51 <laughs> and still going. And how many, how many pieces do you have now in your tag collection? Uh, I've got over probably about... Well, something between fifteen and twenty pieces, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I haven't haven't counted, haven't counted them all up, but um, along with the actual watches, I've got like stopwatches and micro timers and micro splits and all those sorts of stuff as well. So, yeah, that's 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 another one that I like to collect, just the um the stopwatches and the old the old vintage stuff. Yeah, and Anthony actually showed me a couple of those when we caught out for coffee. So we'll. Uh, when this goes out, we'll put a photo on our um, or a couple of photos on our Instagram of those um, couple of those stopwatches and stuff that that you brought along. Um, now, another interesting thing is not only do you have a few of the you know mechanical tags, but you've got a number of the smartwatches. So, how, how many of the smartwatches do you have there? Yeah. Uh, I've got all the smartwatches, so all all the way dating back to the first, the E one, the E two. Uh, the E3 and now the E4, which is the current in 
in the model. Um, so I just keep, I've just like to, like to keep them all, you know, just as uh, as time's gone by, just to see the changes of, you know, where they've come from, the technology that's changed as well. Um, plus, as you guys know, I, I run a Facebook page on um, on Facebook for the tag connected. Um, it's got over 20,000 members worldwide. Wow. And um, yeah, it was just a little awesome. Do the original ones still work? Do are they, can you use them at all? Even if you just like dumbed them right down, can you just wear them as watch? Yeah, yeah, they still work. Um, obviously, they're, they're slow. Like the first, the first one especially is pretty, pretty slow. Yeah, it'll still work, but um, it stopped getting. They're still getting updates for the because it it runs off uh, the second and third and fourth run off the Wear OS pl- platform. Yeah, um, the first one was an Intel, um, so that one's a bit slow and doesn't doesn't do a lot anymore. Uh, turns on, tells the time, that's about it. Um, but the second, the third. Are, no problem. The fourth one, obviously, the ones it's got the Wear OS three at the moment. Yeah, but I mean, like, like if it turns on and it tells the time, it's now doing pretty much everything a G Shock does. So <laughs> there's no reason why you couldn't just wear it instead of a G Shock. It's. Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people say, you know, and I'm probably guilty of this as well. Spoken about, uh, you know, these early generation connected watches are kind of just going to end up becoming e waste, but then. Actually, they just seem to fall back and become just like every other watch. You lose all the smart functions, perhaps, but you can still just wear them. Yeah, exactly. And um, that, like for me, like the E1, I don't, I hardly ever turn on. I will get to the point where it'll stop turning on because the battery will go, will go dead, and yeah. you won't really turn it on anymore, and it'll just be like a collector piece down, down, down the track. Um, but yeah, no, you're right. It's um, it just if it tells the time, it is like a like a Casio. It's exactly the same. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I have an E2, um, which I would. It was my first expensive, properly expensive new watch purchase. Um, uh, we were in Vegas. And I was very drunk on a very large daiquiri. I mean, like like the size of the daiquiris they sell in Vegas should not be legal. Like this thing was like a sixty ounce daiquiri, which I don't know what that is in liters. Uh, sixty ounce in liters is two liters of of alcoholic slushy. Okay, and that's you know and that's enough by itself to, to, to make some bad decisions. But on top of that, when we walked into the Tagcoin boutique, it's funny because I really wanted one of the smartwatches because, you know, um, I was working in technology at the time. I still do, but like tech hardware technology. And I just thought it was the coolest thing. You know, how cool would it be to have a smartwatch that's also made by, you know, a proper watch brand. Anyway, then the lady at the Tagcoin boutique just kept pouring shots of Patron uh, which is exactly what you need after downing 1.5 litres worth of daiquiri um, and high on Hershey's sugar cookies from the Hershey's uh, cookie store across the road. Um, so, yeah, so I bought that. No discount because it was from a boutique. Um, and I bought the, the mechanical module. And um, and I wore that every day for probably close to a year, but I still have it somewhere. Um but yeah, like you say, it's kind of a bit slow now and it's quite big and it doesn't have like a heart rate sensor or it doesn't have all the stuff that you could now get in a, you know, in a $50 fitness band. Um, so, um, so I haven't worn it for a while, but uh, I think the charging puck is still sitting on my desk somewhere. 
um, I don't know where it's gone, but um, so it looks similar to you actually. Tag was, I mean, I my first job was in in a shopping center. So, and the best brand you can really get in a shopping center in like most shopping centers in in Australia at least is is a kind of Tag Heuer, Rado, Longines. That's kind of the level that you're playing at. Um, and I remember thinking, geez, you know, if I could have a and my my boss back when I was my first job at a Tag Heuer Carrera caliber 16 black with the red seconds hand and i remember thinking geez you know that's when you know you've made it when you've got a tag hoya carrera on your wrist you're just you know beyond rich um and i remember looking at monaco's in the store windows going oh my god you know this is what were they back then probably like six thousand dollars seven thousand dollars in back yeah. you know, 10 years ago 15 years ago i remember thinking oh my goodness now that's so much money. I'll never be able to get there. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's funny because once I got properly into watches, I never ended up, um, I, you know, I've owned more tags in the last six months than I have in the rest of my life prior, prior to that. Um, so, you know, it, it is interesting because I think, you know, and, and we talked about this at the dinner, right? Um, I think uh, Nick mentioned it, was that Tag Heuer is actually very much um a brand where a lot of watch enthusiasts start their journeys right either because like yourself they they bought one when they were one of their first luxury watches or you know the marketing and the and the um you know the, the ambassadors and all that kind of stuff in more recent times you know like the, look at the new barbie movie that's just dropped you know ryan gosling wears no less than three tags on both his wrists at the same time right so that's you know and then you had the barbie uh the 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 caliber five barbie uh carrera three-hander and all that kind of stuff and so i think one of the things that tag does extremely well is marketing um you know and they they support the right sports uh they have the right ambassadors um they have the right uh you know they do some of the best videography um for their ads that you know of any of the brands um what do you think, Anthony, is sort of the future for Tag Heuer um, as a brand? Well, firstly, what you said, you know, you've owned more tags now in the last six months than you have all your life. That tells me that the brand's doing something right because they're starting to attract more people in, which is great, you know, really, really good. Um, in the future, like with every every watch brand, they're prices are increasing you know th things are, are always on 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 the up but i can really see tag are trying to sort of go to that next that next level i think you know um trying to become that brand which is not just the entry level brand anymore they want to go to more to a, to a higher level which you know, and with their movements you know the new movements the, the tag you know, the uh the o2 um, TH20 um, and 30. So I think with the, that higher quality of movement and higher quality of finish, as you can see in the new skipper, the finish on the new skipper is amazing. You know, it's really a step up from the old, you know, Carreras um, back in the, in the last two, three years. And they've really, they've really got a lot better with their, with their finishing. So um, I, I really see that that they're going in in a good direction um and i'm pretty happy with what they're doing i really like it i know some of the the, the, the new monaco's the skeleton monaco's 
the um the the titanium with the blue and the and the yellow really nice you know their uh, their tag is avant-garde and i think that um, they are avant-garde they're really out there and they're really you know trying to mix a bit of vintage with new um and just trying to take it in a little bit of a a better direction i think which is nice you know yeah. frederick's been really good you know the ceo last the last three or four years that he's been involved i reckon he's been great you know people, yeah i think i i completely back up in fact probably what both of you have said i'm yet another australian apparently tags really big in australia so i'm yet another australian who sort of learned about the idea of luxury watches by peering through a jeweler's window and seeing um tags as it's as good as it can get um i'm not quite where um where uh uh, john is at the moment i haven't quite got over that edge and started buying them but i'm with you anthony i think over the last i'm gonna go out in a limb and say certainly over the last 18 months along with longine they are the two most exciting brands at the moment in watches and I would say more than anything for exactly what you said at the end, Anthony, those two brands have really found how to fuse the old and the new. Um, so you look at the new, those glass box, um, I was at the glass box uh, Carreras where they're kind of like the, the best of the old Hoya, but injected with a whole bunch of energy from, from tag. Um, and I think if you look at the, the Longine Spirit collection, uh, they remind me of each other, those watches, in that it's not, they haven't just taken an old heritage piece and reproduced it, but they've taken a heritage idea and made a modern version of it. And I think, I don't think there's any brands doing it better at the moment than Longine and, and Tag. And I agree with you. I reckon that he gets a lot of he gets a lot of crap for being like the boss's son but i reckon what what tag and the management group is doing at the moment is really incredible they're they're, as i said they're probably one of the two most exciting watch brands right now yeah i I can only hope that they bring some of that uh to their sister brand (coughs) hublot (coughs) Hublot. (laughs) um and uh and you know inject some of that um you know, like I think, I think, you know, I was saying this to um, the uh, Fiona, who's the Zenith. Um, you know, when we went to the Zenith event, Pete. Um, yeah. Uh, she's the uh, assistant brand manager, I think, for Australia. And I was saying that, you know, it's interesting to me. LVMH as a watch group is interesting to me because they've got the the brand Zenith, which is very much a watch lovers watch brand, right? Like they're not very well known outside of the watch community. If you showed someone a, a a Zenith that wasn't a watch person, they would have no idea about the brand, have no idea about the history, and that's kind of what makes Zenith cool to watch geeks because they are it's very much a watch geek brand. But then they've got Tag and Hublot, which are both very much brands that are aimed towards the mass market, right? Like you know. And and like I said, you know, for a long time, both Hublot and and Tag um, have kind of been, you know, I wouldn't say looked down upon, but definitely there's it, there's a it's a Marmite they're Marmite Marmite the the Marmite brands for watch enthusiasts, right? You either love them or you hate them or you love very specific things about them or or whatever. And I was saying, you know, it'd be just so good if you know 
Zenith could give them a little bit of that classic watchmaking kind of um, uh, ability. And I think they're kind of doing that now, right? Like, you know, um, they're sharing uh, bracelet technology, you know, so they're sharing like the quick release stuff um, uh, between the group. They're also sharing their movements. I know Zenith has given Hublot a number of movements, like the Elite and the um, the El Primero for, for the... Um, the the unico base and all that kind of stuff um and then they share their use of ceramics um quite extensively um to you know to kind of you know, and hublot does ceramics hublot is probably one of the best materials uh players in the market right short of maybe richard mill um they do amazing ceramics they do um amazing sapphire and crystal cases um you know one of the best but then they slap in a $20 Salida movement, which <laughs> makes me really upset. So, you know, so I think I think Tag Heuer kind of has the same thing. They've got this amazing chronograph movement in the Hoyer O2 and now the Hoyer O2C, which addresses some of the issues that the O2 had, like the, the Wizzy Wizzy uh, rotor, you know, the, you know, so they fixed that. Um, then they've got a Torbion based on the Hoyer O2, which is probably one of the best value Torbions on the market right now. Um, and they've addressed one of the biggest issues with that, which was that it only used to only ever come in a 45 millimeter case, which was big for everybody. Right? It was big for me and I've got a reasonably sized wrist. Now they've got in a 42 with the glass box, I, I, I believe on that one there. And that's a fantastic size. And it's still only, well, I say only in context of a Torbion, but it's still only a shade over $30,000, $30, which is fantastic value for a Swiss made Torbion chronograph um of all things like you step into any other brand that's probably at least double at least double the price so um you know i, I think yeah i think tags doing some great i just want I, I, i'd really like them to create a a simple three-handed movement that they can slot into their aqua races and in, in you know and all that kind of stuff i think they should consider dropping their extensive quartz range and really consolidating that into a much smaller range and introducing some more automatic options in the formula one because i quite like the design of the formula one but it's hard to find one in an automatic or a mechanical movement where they're like 90 percent quartz you know so i think introducing some more watchmaking to that line would be great pete what do you think you don't have it do you have any tags in your collection at the moment no i don't i don't i could i'm like i said i'm lagging a little bit behind you i really want one um, and I'm not sure which one, but those glass boxes are really screaming at me at the moment. And I've wanted a Monaco, a, a Monaco since, you know, I was aware of watches. So there's, there is definitely going to be one of those on my horizon. Now I'd agree with everything you, you're saying. I think tag is in an interesting position at the moment. It's, I can't help but think it's probably making money hand over fist selling quartz links and formula ones. Um, and so if I was tag management, I'd be saying, thank you very much for your advice, John, but screw you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think, I think what that's, that's one of the tricky parts of every watch brand, um, is, is kind of like, what watches do you measure them by? Do you measure them by their best watch? Do you measure them by their worst watch? Do you measure them by the one they sell the most? You know, I would see, and maybe I'm going to be a real heretic here, but if I had to pick like 
who is the natural competitor? Who would be, if I wasn't thinking about buying a uh, buying a tag, just gave away the punchline, but I wasn't thinking about buying a tag, what would be the kind of natural competitor who sits in the market? And I see that they're absolutely uh, a tutor competitor. If I'm thinking a tutor, I'm thinking a tag. If I'm thinking a tag, maybe a tutor would scratch that same itch. Um, and what's interesting is they get treated so differently. Whenever you ask a watch enthusiast about tag, they immediately bring up like the super affordable entry level. And they say, ah, but they make these quartz pieces. And I don't really like that. And, you know, I want more. But if you ask them about Tudor, they immediately jump to the top of what they sell you, which is the Black Bay. And they skip all the glamours and the, you know, 1926s and all that other stuff that, you know, no one wants, no one talks about wanting. So it's interesting how we as watch geeks kind of look at a brand and then decide how we're going to, which watches we think are going to be the ones that we measure them against. Yeah. I mean, you turn around and say, when I, when I, if anyone's listening to this, they're going to say, what, how can you possibly compare tag and shooter? And I'd agree. It's really unfair to tag. I mean, tag make a, a fully in-house split seconds chronograph, which is like probably two orders of magnitude more hor horologically significant than anything Tudor does. Um, it's, it's actually kind of unfair to put um, Tudor into that fight. But watch geeks would actually see that the other way around. It's really bizarre. Yeah, I think it's, probably, it's all because they're owned by Rolex. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I think the other issue is, you know, that Tudor... Like you say, Tudors position themselves. You know, I think Tudors kind of going to fall into a trap soon if they're not careful. Is that they're going to position themselves as the Black Bay brand, right? Just like AP is the Royal Oak brand, and um, and whatever. I think you know, Tag has a lot more, like has a much wider range, right? You know, you've got the Formulas, you've got the uh, Aqua Races, you've got the Monacos, you've got the Carreras, you've got the Connecteds, you've got, um, you know, the the the, the Torbs, you've got, you know, um. A whole bunch of different colors actually i've got um so the other thing that that tag is probably a bit better at is creating more fun pieces so you know um i picked this one up recently um the red um the fume dial kind of oh, yeah i saw that right um now you know it's this is something that tudor will never do because it's too it's too um, out there for them, right? They're never going to do these coloured sort of dials. They're never going to go fully, you know, like kind of off of the reservation. I mean, all their designs are very conservative. But what they will do is they'll slap a, 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 um, a Tudor three-hander 70-hour power reserve into any of their um, Black Bay series or watches, basically, that they've converted them all to the in-house movement. And for a watch geek... I, you know, I mean, we've talked about this before. There's some people that care about movements, some people that don't care about movements. I'm kind of someone that cares a little bit about, uh, you know, I care about movements if the value proposition stacks up. Um, but, and I've got a Black Bay 54, which I which I do quite like. Um, but I think if push came to shove, this might be the one I'd keep out of the two. Um, it's impossible pair because I don't own any bright burgundy clothes um but it's just so much fun you know and and so i look at this and i go okay it's four thousand dollars just over four thousand dollars with a 
you know, Salida SW200 and not a particularly well-finished one, if I'm honest. Um, but look at it. Look at it. Just look at it. That's where, that's where you come back to, John. Like, tag, they do fun stuff. That's the avant-garde part of the business. Yeah. You know? they, they're not scared to do that fun stuff. Yeah. I mean, look at the new Monaco's. Um, so... Uh, I, I tried on one of the new skeleton ones. Have you, have you had, have you seen one in person, Pete? No, I haven't seen them on person. Um, they do look good. They look good on on screen. They look fantastic, and in person, to be honest, when I went there and I was like, you know, I was actually just looking for a rubber strap for that tag I was just showing you before, but they don't do a red one, so that's an aftermarket one from I don't know somewhere from Strapify, I think. Um, and the, the uh, this very nice gentleman, uh, I think he works at both the Melbourne Boutique and the Chadston Boutique, uh, Jacoby, or Jacoby, I'm not really sure. I think it's Jacoby. Anthony, is it Jacoby? Yeah, Jacoby, Jacoby. he's the, yeah, he's the, uh, he's the brand, he's a man, he's uh, he's all over the place, he's, he's, a, he's a great bloke. Yeah, very knowledgeable. Um, the other two in the store weren't terribly knowledgeable, if I'm honest, but, you know, he was he was very knowledgeable. He knew all the things. He knew, you know, um, previous models and then all that kind of stuff. Um, and he pulled them out. And at first I thought, oh, this is going to be terrible, you know. this is. And I think I said this to you at the Tag Hoy dinner, Anthony. I was like, oh, you know, the Monaco's always been that traditional, you know, that, like, to me it's always been, it's a timeless design because they haven't really done too much with it in the last 30 years you know they've swapped the movements around and they've swapped some of the dials around but they've fundamentally been very much similar but these new ones are quite a big step away from the previous generations right um and i, I know they've had some they've had a couple of weird ones like they had that monaco the high beat one which was kind of a bit different to the rest of them but you know most of the time the core line has been the same but i tell you i was you know if, if the credit card had 17 grand on it at the time, it would have been dangerous. Uh, <laughs> I've just, you know, it would have been, it would have been um, potentially dangerous because that black DLC one or the black um, ceramic or whatever it is with the baby blue dials, um, that's just hot. Yeah, yeah that I, just really... fired, I just fired that one up and to have a look at it. And yeah, that's, that's the one. It's great. I mean, look, is it 17 grand great? I don't know. But the thing is, you know, I think, you know, coming back to your point, Pete, about, you know, watch people kind of making, we make excuses for the brands that we like or the brands yeah. that we, we, we respect at the detriment of potentially brands that we, you know, don't traditionally like or don't traditionally respect. So you think the Monaco is a lot of money at 17 grand? It is a lot of money, right? 17 grand is a lot of money, full stop. Like, it doesn't matter what watch it's for. But then you think about it, you know, it's an iconic sh case shape, a very difficult crystal to make, you know, with that curved um, square sapphire crystal. Like people, you know, underestimate how hard those little, you know, that little detail makes that whole watch difficult to make. Um, and then you've got a skeletonized dial, skeletonized in-house movement, um, you know, one of the best rubber straps I've, 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 I've worn for a long time. And it's still six grand less than a Daytona, which is a steel watch with a, you know, decent, reliable movement, but nothing terribly special about it. Um, so, but everyone would, no one ever says the Daytona is bad value um, because 
just because you know they know what the grey market is and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you now, the Daytona is fucking terrible value. Just, just <laughs> like you can buy two Speedmasters for the same price as one Daytona. Yeah. One thing I've got to say is, or a couple of things. One, the tag website is terrible. I'm looking at this now and I'm trying to get things like the thickness of the watch and everything. Cannot find it anywhere. So lift your game tag. But secondly, I suppose a, a question for Ant, because he might know through, you know, through knowing people in tag a little bit more. Um, the way this has been skeletonized is reminiscent of the way, say, the the Zenith Defy is skeletonized. It, you know, it kind of looks like the same. They went if you if there was a company saying, you know, skeleton dials are us, you wouldn't be surprised if they did both of these these watches. Do you know if there is any? You know, we've spoke before about sharing movement capabilities. Do you know if they're sharing anything on this? Look, I, I'm not sure that they are. I don't think that Zenith and, and Tag Heuer share their their dial stuff. Um, I know they have just recently employed a new movement director. Um, her name at the moment just goes by. I can't remember her name, but um, but um, yeah, she's she's been in the industry for what you know, 25, 30 years, so she she's pretty well respected. Um, but I don't think they, that they share. But also, I did hear them say that this is the first skeletonized Monaco ever. So there was the V4. The V4, you know, they looked that looked like it was skeletonized some somewhat, but not 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 like this. This is the first yeah. skeletonized Monaco. It could be it could be as simple as you know when when Tag went to put together the team for doing this. They just reached out and found the guy that's really good at it, you know, who was previously working for Zenith. And they say, hey, can you come over and join the team? Um, Whoa, that V4 so is crazy. That was horrendously expensive, too. That it was still like... is horrendously expensive. <laughs> <laughs> the cheapest one on Chrono 24 is 55000 I think I've heard... Steel. I've heard George Bamford talk about that. It's like one of his... He's either got that watch or it's... One that he's constantly searching for. Although I must say it it it's Monaco by name, but it's not really Monaco by look. I mean it it, it it's I mean it it's kind of square, but it's not really the Monaco square. I'm I'm actually surprised they called that a Monaco. I think they that could have been just a, its own thing. Like they could have just called it the V4. I don't think it needed to have the Monaco brand against it because it doesn't really look super Monaco-esque. Firstly, it's not a chronograph by the looks of it. So, you know, I, and I know they do make three-hander Monacos, but that's always been weird to me as well because the whole thing of a Monaco is that it's a chronograph, you know, like that was the whole genesis of it. Um, so yeah. like, that's a bit weird to me. But... I do see what you're saying, Pete, because even like looking at the date wheel on the skeletonized Monaco, that's very. Uh, and I have, I've had, uh, I had a blue Zenith um, Defy skeleton, and and that's very similar date kind of wheel to that to the to the way that one looks. Um, so it's like that kind of partially skeletonized dial, not fully skeletonized. But you know, look, the thing is, there's no shame, even if they did share some 
design cues with their sister brands, you know, whether that's Hublot or whether that's uh, uh, um, Zenith. I, look, I said at the start, I think that's a great decision because, like, they they all have stuff they could learn from each other, right? Tag could probably learn a little bit about, you know, sort of more horology movement from Zenith. Uh, it could learn more about design, uh, about, uh, you know, materials design from Hublot. Uh, and then in turn, it can probably help both of the, you know, help Zenith with marketing and, and positioning and, um, you know, and what the market's looking for. And I don't know what it could help Hublot with. Hublot is kind of beyond help sometimes i feel um I, I, this, the secret is i know you secretly like Hublo. i like Hublot, but that's what makes it <laughs> makes it even more upsetting for me is because i do generally think Hublot could be doing so much better but they're kind of like just all they've got all their eggs in the one porthole bloody case basket and they think that's enough forever you know they they, they just you know, they think it's okay to charge $11,000 for a Salida movement in a, you know, I just, and, you know, I, and, and long-term listeners, you know that I put my money where my mouth is. I bought one, right, to, to, to try. And it's a great looking watch. It's, you know, it's okay to wear. Um, but God damn it, man. Like, <laughs> come on. Like, you know, if, 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 you can't use the same movement that they use in a $300 micro brand on Kickstarter, right? And sell it to me for $11,000. Just, you know, just do something, right? I suppose the two arguments there is actually just watch us. And they did yes. do it. Yeah. And um, then we'll continue to do it because that's... The and I'll continue it. Um, and the second thing is I've I heard, and it might not be true, but I heard that actually the Sang Bleu is their biggest seller, not the classic fusion the which um the sang blue or what whatever it's called sang blue um that that hublot are a really interesting company in that their cheapest watch is not their biggest seller um their cheapest watch is there because people wanted an entry into the brand um and so it it's they actually put very little effort or attention into it, which is one of the reasons why they um, they can't be asked getting like the the Zenith Elite movement to go in there. Yeah, interesting. I mean, I would have thought, geez, I mean, that would be a no-brainer, right? Just just shove that in. It's about the same right size. It's about the right stack, you know. Um, yeah, I I heard um, uh, was it? I forgot his body name. The guy Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, yeah. On, I think he was talking about this on about effing time, and he flat out asked the people at Zenith, if Ublo came to you tomorrow, and said we need Zenith Elite movements to go into our classic fusions, can you supply? And the guys at Zenith scratched their heads and said, eh, give us a little bit of warning. Yeah, we can do that. We have the capacity right now, which would tell me that. Hublot have probably asked that question themselves and said, yeah, not worth it. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because I kind of look at this stuff and I think, you know, um, once again, it's probably one of those things where the target market for the classic fusion, you know, is not us, right, for the most part. And so, you know, they probably don't, um, they probably don't see the need to, uh, you know, placate, 
the people that are probably not the ones that are buying it in the first instance, right? It's it's sort of like, you know, like like the argument around me saying they should replace the quartz movements in their Formula One with automatic movements. Well, Tag will probably say maybe, but then that drives the price point up a little bit and it maybe uh, increases the barrier to entry for the people that are actually the buyers of that product, which are, you know, let's say, for example, first-time watch buyers or younger younger watch buyers or like, you know, like you know, buyers like Anthony who, you know, their first couple of paychecks they want something really special for themselves but they don't want to they don't want to they don't want to or do not have the ability to go and spend whatever the inflated accounted accounted value would be these days which you know i don't know what two paychecks was back then anthony but let's assume that's probably you know like spending 10 grand today or something you know like yeah yeah you know. well what they're doing i think these days tag hoyer is they're younger people they're tech people so in the hope that they buy a smartwatch and then that smartwatch affinity will grow to a mechanical watch and then the mechanical watch will turn into two or three mechanical watches. So that's that's where they're coming in now, I think, with the younger people, you know, not not necessarily buying a a um, a quartz F1, but maybe coming in and buying a E4 connected for a couple of thousand dollars and, you know, you know Dragging them in with that affiliation. Okay, I've got a, I've got a tag smartwatch. Now my next move, I'm going to buy a mechanical watch, and I'll go back to where I bought my smartwatch from. You know, mm. so that's where I think they're sort of coming in now with, um, with the younger crowd. Mm. Which is a smart move. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know, look, I, like I said, I, I always had a bit of a love hate relationship with tag. You know, like I, I, you know, when I was younger, they were like, you know. I thought that was going to be the end game, you know, when you when you owned a tag, um, and then I didn't own one for years. Like I can't remember the last, you know, since before the last six months where I've had, you know, a couple. I I don't remember the last one I had before that. That that wasn't just sort of transiting through as part of a, you know, a multi watch trade or something. You know, that that I was never intending to keep. Um, and. Now I'm actually paying more attention to the brand. I'm paying more attention to the stuff that they're doing. And I think, you know, stuff like they're doing with the the, the glass boxes and, and with the new Monacos and Monacos and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're really appealing more to a broader, a broader group of people, including the, you know, rather finicky um you know watch lovers world right watch enthusiast world um you know and like the skipper for example you know um well, a good friend of mine i won't name him because uh you know he'll know who he is if he listens to this we were at um at a store the other day and 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 uh, they brought out the skipper and um now this is someone that i don't remember the last time he's he bought something at retail that wasn't a rolex okay so um and he was seriously contemplating buying one of those spigots, uh, skippers at uh you know at, at the boutique price at the full retail price that is not something that like it sounds oh well, that's just normal behavior but it, it, it isn't though right because because it, for so long Tag's always been the brand that you need to get 25% off when you get 30% off to make it a worthwhile purchase, right? And I think the fact that people like like myself and him were considering, you know, I, I consider the Monaco at full retail, he considered the Skipper at full retail, I think that actually shows a shift in the mentality of watch enthusiasts that, you know what, Tag deserves to be taken as seriously as 
you know, as Tudor, you know, that you don't get, you can't really get discounts on as Rolex or as Amiga. Um, and it's, start, it's a slow burn, right? Because right now it's only certain lines. It's not all the models, right? Like, there's no way in hell I'd buy a Formula One at full retail, right? Like, that that's just asking for a very cleansing bath, um, <laughs> you know. Um, but, you know, but that Monaco, you know what? I probably would pay full retail for it. I'd pay the 16300 or the 16800 or whatever the hell it costs, right? Because I generally think there is value in that. You know, forget resale for a second, but there's value in that watch at that price. And I think um, it's expensive, but it's not overpriced. Um, the Skipper at 9800 it's expensive, you know, because I think, like I said, $10,000 is a lot of money for anything, but I don't think it's overpriced. I think the technology required to make that 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 um, that crystal is, you know, that's years of R and D. Um, you know, the movement is years of R and D. Uh, the design probably less so because it's a, sort of a reissue. Because so you know, the design elements kind of preset for them. But you know, for nine thousand, what is it, Anthony? Nine 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 thousand eight hundred or something. I think it was nine, nine, eight or nine two. Yeah. I can't remember. For that price, it's less than a uh, Hesselite Speedmaster on on strap. Um, it's you know you can't the the, the closest thing you get in the Rolex catalog is a time only Oyster Perpetual, right? Which is it's cool, but not nearly as impressive. Um, and even with its own sister brands in zenith you can't even get a time only uh defy for that kind of money uh and in 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 hublot you can't even get a time only fusion so to me i look at that and go you know it looks great it's got a great movement in it it's got great technology around the crystal and 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 all that kind of stuff it's actually a genuine value proposition for the first time in a long time from a brand that's always been kind of seen as you know not offering fantastic value propositions um you've got you've got one of the skippers anything what, what do you think about it oh, look i really i really like the skipper i think the um, the glass box isn't really nice it's amazing even even the first glass box carrera that came out earlier in the year at watches and wonders um whether it's the, the reverse panda or, or the blue they're great they're really nice pieces um you know, I've got a few of the older glass boxes, the 39 millimeter glass boxes, um, and that that they're also perfect. Well, nearly perfect, I should say. They just got a, a little bit of a in the glass box itself. Sort of when you get to a, a specific angle, there's a bit of distortion. Whereas with these new ones, you don't have that distortion. The way the way they've done the new ones is really good. Visibility is great. Um, so. I, you know, I've been waiting for the skipper, you know, from back last year, you know, for, for it to come out this year. So I've had my eyes set on that one for a, for a while. It was similar to the um, the 60th anniversary Carrera, the Panda. You know, I've been waiting for that one for probably three or four years for them to re- to redo. Uh, which so when it finally came out this year, and I, you know, limited to 600 pieces, I had to had to have one. Um, there was just no option. Now, and when you look at that as a as a limited edition of six hundred pieces, at you know just I think it was ten thousand two hundred or ten thousand four hundred, compared to the skipper, which is a core, you know, it's in the core, um, you know, for a thousand dollars or six hundred dollars less or around about that figure, um, I think it's a no brainer. I think 
for me, the price is okay. Um, like you were saying, it's it's not over the top. So I think with with what you'll find with the pricing too, Tag Heuer are looking to get out of, I think, more point of sales and they're just trying to go to boutique models. And they won't, they won't eliminate, obviously, from everywhere, but they have taken away a lot of point of sales um, like with a lot of different store options so now we've got you know boutiques we've got two boutiques in melbourne boutique in south australia um in western australia there's one in brisbane um, brisbane adelaide now <clears throat> so you know obviously the boutique model is is where they want to go um you know monards obviously still still sell tag lawyers um gregory's as well um, but there were other other places that have been eliminated you know they've taken away from there and that's where i think a lot of the discounts you could get, you know, because if you walk into a boutique, you're not going to get a discount. But if you walk into an AD, like a, a Monarchs, for example, you, you you probably will get a, a little bit of a discount. You know, maybe not as much as what you used to get, you know, 25, 30%. You might get 10 or 15 now, maybe. Um, but I think that's what's going to help the price on the on the resale market as well and keep tagged hoyers a little bit higher in value as opposed to their, mm. their purchase price. Because if everyone's discounting, then there's no way you can keep the value of the of of, of those pieces up. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's interesting. I just had a quick look, and I, you know, I remember seeing as we spoke about earlier. I remember seeing tags kind of through the window of my local jeweler. And but if you took one step sideways, it'd be Citizens. Take another step the other way, and it might be like Tiso. But now, as you say, they're they're out of almost all jewelers except Gregory's. I think. And I had just had a quick look at Gregory. So then you're sitting next to uh, Brightwing, IWC, Montblanc, Panerai, um, Tag is there, Tudor, Zenith. I mean, that's the company I think that Tag wants to be keeping. That's who they want. You know, if you're in the AD and you sort of sit back and have a look at what the other desks are and where the other prices are, that's the company you want to be keeping. Mm. And, um, and yeah, and don't get, you know, look. I think is, I think there was a time and place for the for the you know the the jewelry store presence, <clears> right? <throat> you know, I think um, that's how you build broader brand awareness, how you get more points of presence and all that kind of stuff. But at some point, um, those are that's a, those are volume game stores, right? So um, you know, and like I said, you know, when I was growing up in my teens and early twenties that's why I thought Tag was the, the pinnacle. Like, I'd never heard of these other brands before because, um, you know, like like Breguets and stuff like that because, um, to me, at that point, it was always like the Tag was the, the nicest option in Solaris or the nicest option in Mazzuccelli's or the nicest option in whatever one of those brands. And I think now, given that they're broadening out of that space, um, I think that yeah, I think I agree with you. I think, I think it's really going to help them with um, not just value retention, but also being taken a bit more seriously um, in the in the in the watch community. Well, if if we look at the um, the twenty twenty two rankings, um, Taghoy is at thirteen, Hublot is at twelve, Tissot is at eleven, Vacheron's at ten, Brightling's at nine, IWC's at eight, and then below. Tag Hoyer, JLC, Tudor, and um, Hermes, 
shop hard down down below 20. So they're they're in that mid pack, you know. Um, you know, if we go from the top, obviously, you know, we've got Rolex, Cartier, Omega, APs, Patex, then Richard, and then Longines. So they're they're in that middle pack, you know. Yeah. So they've they've been as high as like eight and nine at at one point, and then they've dropped, you know, they've dropped down a little bit. Um, they've come, but I think I think their their aim now is you know with that in, little bit of increased pricing. And um, that more brand awareness that we want to get into that that same playing field as your Amigas and that sort of stuff, that might help it, you know, come up a little bit further. Mm, yeah. yeah. I suppose a question for you. This is a game I like to. I, I'm a big Breitling guy, and so it's a game I like to play with Breitling. You know, if George asked me for one piece of advice, what would it be? Um, I suppose I'll turn it around and say to you as a as a tag guy, if you if someone said to you. One piece of advice, your elevator pitch to the CEO of TAG. Anthony, what would you like to see them do? Well, that's a good question because um, about, a, about maybe six or seven weeks ago, the CEO of TAG was actually in Melbourne. <laughs> and I just happened to be in the boutique when he did a visit. And what did so you do? It was amazing, amazing that he was there and I was there at the same time. Um, and I got a little introduction, so you know, you know, I happened to sort of have a bit of a chat. And look, I'm I really love the heritage models. I really love the heritage re editions. You know, um, un, un, unfortunately, I don't think there's going to be a lot more as much as what has been in the past. Like you know, they've been releasing two or three a year. I think that's sort of going to come to an end. I think we've got that from Nicholas as well. That there might be maybe one maybe two heritage releases but that's so that's what i like i like the heritage releases i love the old hoyas um and i love you know the re-edition stuff uh so i would say to him please make a few more re-editions but i know it's not going to happen <laughs> <laughs> well they said they were going to um they, they were going to stop doing the hoya branding or something is is that is that what i yeah away from yeah, that? Yeah, I think, yeah, so some of the pieces, obviously, like what you've got on your wrist now, John, you know, you've got, you've got the Hoyer branding, you don't have the tag Hoyer on the dial, um, whereas the skipper has the tag Hoyer on the dial. And a lot of the uh, a lot of the old enthusiasts, you know, they lose their minds because it doesn't have Hoyer on the dial and they won't buy it because it doesn't have Hoyer, you know. So, but we can't just always be in the past with, with the Hoyer. You need, you need some you know forward thinking as well and the brand is tag hoyer and it's a new model it's not it's not a, a a reproduction such it is a new model it's a glass box carrera you know 39 millimeter it's it's not a hoyer it is a tag hoyer so having that on the dial for me it doesn't really matter you know if i want to buy something with hoyer on the dial i'll buy a vintage you know i'll buy an old 2447 maybe um so it doesn't bother me, um, but the, the old heritage guys—they, they really just lose them. They lose their minds over it not being just all on on the dial. Mm, mm. That's that yeah, is think... definitely sort of moving forward as well, right? As a brand for for, for tag is just, yeah. you know, you. I think it's okay to step into your back catalogue and and look at the stuff that made the brand great, but you can't live perpetually in the past. So you can bring a bit of that history forwards, 
but it needs to be tied in with some sort of advancement and for the brand and for the for the piece itself you know from a technology perspective or something yeah i i mean you hear watch geeks go on or bang on and like Hanson, he said, get really excited about just give me all those old Hoyas again. But I can't help but feel, you know, you can only go to that well so many times. It's sooner or later, your brand is going to stagnate. Um, you do need to be moving forward. I actually think their strategy of across the board saying we are tag Hoyer, every now and then we'll throw you a bone and give you a, a Hoyer only sort of just to keep you on the hook. Actually, I don't think that's a bad strategy. Maybe if they were only yeah. for limiteds. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Just one or two a year, make them limited editions, um, sneak some word out through your, your kind of um, user groups. You know, get ready. There's something big coming in six months. Make sure you've got your money available sort of thing um, so that the people that really want one can be ready. Because that must... that that. I've, I've had that happen in Brightling space where something crops up. You would love to have it, but, you know, I haven't got 13 grand lying around with nothing better to do just in case. But if if you hear that little rumour, oh, you know, there's something exciting coming at the end of the year. Maybe you want to be ready for it. Um, that's kind of how I'd play that. The other thing I, I think too is with the limited edition, I don't think we're going to see a lot of limited edition anymore. I think... They're, they're gone to that limited release like they yeah. did with the Monaco's, like they did with the Skipper, you know, a certain amount on on release and then you miss the first lot, then you've got to wait for it to be, you know, struck again and, you know, you might get the next release, which might be 12 months down down the track. Even though it's a core model, you can, you know, you can buy it out of the catalogue. You just have to wait. And that, that obviously builds that, you know, um, at the start, you want, you want to get one at the start because you may not get one for another for another 12 months. Um, and it also limits the supply. So then you don't have the flippers, you know, yeah. just flipping, winding them, flipping them over and keeps the value a little bit higher. So there's still people, I think, that want to buy the Monaco's, you know, the one we were talking about earlier with the um, with the, the baby blue subdials, but that's the most, that's the one, the hardest one to get. You can't get one of those at the moment. You've got to wait for the next release, which may be 20, 2024 sometime. I think the other benefit of that is, again, you know, going back to the old days, yeah, every company wants to avoid those massive discounts. And a great way of doing that is only build the order. So mm -hmm. basically make a small number up front, you know, a thousand or so, sell them out, and then just tell everyone, you know, there's a new batch coming, put your order in, it'll be ready in a year. And then you can basically just build to order. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And that's why I think they got a lot of the brands are doing that, you know, like the Amiga, Amiga does that with their, with their special editions, you know, with mm. the Snoopy and stuff. So, you know, tag has gone down the same way, I think. And, and it makes sense because why would you, why would you make, you know, 200,000 pieces and then only sell 50,000 of them? And then, yeah. and then you know, the rest get discounted at the, um at the, uh, the discount stores and that sort of stuff. And that's where your, your value drops again. And, you know, your, your resale value is shot. Mm. That's right. Mm. I mean, look, it's 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 sad reality that resale value does make up even a, a, like you know in an ideal world, resale value shouldn't make up any part of the equation of you know whether a you want to buy a watch or not. Right, in an ideal world, um, we don't think about that. I mean, I guess people do think about that a little bit with cars, but you no, know, 
most things like you know i'm a i'm i'm into computer games and pcs and stuff i'd never think oh if i buy this graphics card today you know when i go to sell it it's going to be worth like a dollar 50 in a snickers bar right like i just don't, it's not something you know think about because it's there's an enjoyment aspect there that forms the majority of the value of the item you know like i, if I enjoy something along a lot um you know resale value be damn in fact like clothes, for example, people spend a fortune on clothes and end up just giving it away to goodwill or, you know, donate it after at the end of it, you know, so it's, but I got a theory on resale value that it's not actually about the money. It's sort of about the money if it gets really big. But for most people, resale value is kind of a stand in for popularity. And that's why you hear, like you see on forums and things, people will will beat a brand with a stick over the basis that you can get a discount on it. Like if you can get a discount on a watch, it's kind of regarded as a black mark against that brand. They're not doing things right. They're making too many watches or they're charging too much or their stuff's crap. Um, and so your ability to get a discount or a watch having a bad resale value isn't so much about, you know, actual dollars in your pocket it's kind of a stand-in for that's not a popular watch. They're doing something wrong. It's a stick we can beat them with. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why brands are working. So it doesn't cost a brand anything for their watches to be sold at discount because they've nine times out of 10 sold them already to the AD at what for them is full whack. But in the long run, the rep, it's, it's all about reputation and the stories we tell ourselves. Mm. um and that's i think what they're what they're trying to deal with and from an ad perspective it's difficult because they have to buy the stock so let's say they buy you know a bunch of tags for you know whatever the margin is 35 percent 40 percent um but then they have targets for the brands um and different (laughs) brands have different targets and you know some have a monthly target some have a you know quarterly quota whatever if you want to keep the brand or whatever you have to perform and so once you've bought the stock, it's like, well, I need to find people to sell it to. And, you know, that's another reason why it's a good thing for brands to reduce their points of presence. Because let's say, for example, at one point, there was probably four or five places in the city where you could buy a tag Hoya, right? There was the boutique. Before the boutique, there was Solera's, which had, I think, two or three stores in the city. And you had, you know, all these other stores. Your Monards had tag in two different locations. You had, I think, Lot Duty Free used to have tag as well at one yep. point. So all of a sudden you've got five to six people, uh, businesses all with the same brand or brands, um, and it becomes a race to the bottom because they yeah, all have yeah. the same watches, right? And then when the boutique opened, they introduced the concept of, you know, sort of boutique only models where you could only get them from the boutique or or if not only, then, you know, at least for a period of time, they were the only ones that would stock it or they were the only ones that had availability. And that obviously put a bit of a bump up, you know, on those models. So people would go to the boutique and, and whatever. And we've spoken about this before, Pete, uh, where, you know, I think as a whole, and it's not always the case, but as a whole, you do get a better experience at a boutique if for no other reason than just knowledge, right? Because they only have to learn one brand. They don't have to learn, you know, one set of models and they don't have to be experts on all the different um, different uh, brands that a multi-brand might stock. So, you know, so then you get people familiar with the boutique experience and then you start slowly transitioning out of the, 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 the rat race of, you know, basically multi-brand 
Um, and I, I, I don't include brands like Monarchs in in that, like because they they are watch experts, right? In the in for the most sense. So yes, they've got a jewelry section, but most of their staff there, all of the stuff that I'm aware of, I actually very knowledgeable about pretty much all of the watch brands that they have in there. But when you go into somewhere like like Solera's, where jewelry is their main game. And watches like I've never. I mean, I've bought stuff from Solaris before, but I've never met. I've met one person ever in a Solaris store that actually knew anything about any of the watches um, that they were selling, and they didn't. They weren't there for very long. You know, they moved on to a, a, a different store. So you know, I think uh, you know. So I think that's definitely a positive for Tag, and I think that's definitely going to have the results that you're talking about there, Anthony, which is that you know it's going to increase their their value retention and it's also going to increase their their brand value um in the you know in the broader watch community sense let me tell you one thing with with the tag boutique in melbourne itself those guys in there they know their stuff they are really watch people you know from the manager jacoby to the assistant manager anna to you know the staff there they really know their stuff and if you want a good experience, a good boutique experience, buying experience, I, I recommend you go there. They're, they're great. They're really good. Yeah, and we, we I met Anna at the um, at the uh, the tag event, and she she was very she was very knowledgeable. She very desperately wanted me to buy a tag called Torbion, but unfortunately, I'm very poor. Uh, can't afford such things. Um, look, so I think we probably it's about almost time to wrap it up. Um, Thank you very much for being on on the show, Anthony. Um, our very first guest. Hopefully, it wasn't too traumatizing for you. Um, everyone, give Anthony a follow on Instagram. What's your Instagram, Anthony? Uh, Watch Lover AU. Watch Lover AU for all the awesome tag pictures of various different tags, and you do have other watches though as well in your collection, don't you, Anthony? Yeah, I do, mate. Yeah, I've got a couple of Rolexes and some Megas and some nice. Zenith that I just uh, acquired, as you know, yes, yes. <laughs> which I'm really in love with. It's really nice. Very lovely Zenith. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not a pilot, is it? Oh, no. Perish the thought. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you have that? Um, uh, to be fair, a fairly long time for me. You know, I think it's been about three I weeks or what, something. I think the warranty card says 22nd of July. Mate. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 two and a, that's two and a half weeks. That's... That's, you know, that's a reasonable amount of time. I, that like, watch barely stopped moving. It just sort of slowed down for a little while. Look, honestly, it that is it's an amazing watch. And, you know, and you know, it's one of those things where I look at that and I think um this is so that watch actually makes no sense to me in terms of value, right? So if you think about it, like you know, we we're talking before about, uh, you know, how for a skipper for ninety eight hundred dollars retail, you're getting this, you know, chronograph, and then that same, you know, ninety eight hundred dollars in Zenith world doesn't even get you a three hander, um, doesn't even get you a three hander pilot. Now to be fair, that has a really nice El Primero movement in it, you know, one of the first that they've ever used in a three hander, um because uh, they've traditionally used elites in the three-handers, which kind of makes sense. The Defy was always elites. Um, so it's it's quite cool what they've done. And I really do hope that that kind of philosophy around um, watchmaking does, you know, progress through to tag and through to um, Hublot, like I've said. Um, 
but yeah, it's that's such a cool watch. But you know, I'm just in love with the Aqua Race. I'm in love with this thing. You know, um, this you know this will last more than two weeks i promise you anthony okay um i'll let you know if you're opposite to me uh, <laughs> um well, you are in line for a tag oil, mate so yeah, you're, yeah. you're definitely in line for a, yeah um i am yeah um actually pete you you should show the new watch you've got recently have you shown anybody yet has it been on your I, insta? it has been on my insta but i'll put it out now hang on just one second yeah, I don't think you've seen this one, Anthony. I mean, this is going to be interesting because we're going to see it, but the people listening are not going to see it. So uh, we'll put a photo up on our Instagram again um, for people who are listening. Sorry. Rummaging through his box. Did we record the video? Uh, we did not. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's... Here we go. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So... In... Rose gold? Yeah. So in it's... line with typical Pete, is the date correct on that thing or? Um, is it the 16th? It is not the 16th. <laughs> <laughs> so then, no, the date is not correct. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's a really cool watch. You know, and I think, is... and I think, you know, we, we, we spoke about this in, in, in a previous episode about underrated brands and undervalued brands, I think UN was was in that list. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know honestly, um, I think design aside, because design is very subjective, I, I think they are definitely one of the most underrated brands. A um, lot of history, uh, very limited. They don't make a lot of watches, um, and like Pete tried to show before but i don't think the camera focused and you can't see it anyway it doesn't really matter but they're all individually numbered on the side um so they've got a little plaque that's kind of engraved into the into the mid into the case on the side and all of their models have it pretty much um and they're all very low numbers you know i don't i don't think i've seen one more than four digits in fact i don't think i've seen one more than three digits I've... I haven't seen one more than three. Yeah, which is they would exist, but sure. those drivers, I'm guessing, would. But yeah, but even then, maybe not because they've got different colorways. But you know, that's that's like, um, it, you know, it's, it does two things. One, it, it it shows you the low production nature of that watch, and two, it kind of gives you the um, a, a, you know, the appearance of a limited edition without actually being technically a limited edition. Um, yeah. because usually only limited editions have sort of that kind of numbering, you know, most normal production watches just have a serial number with a jumble of <laughs> letters and numbers because they don't know how many they're going to make. Right. So, so, you know, they don't want to run out of numbers. Um, yeah. maybe, maybe these plaques only go up to a certain size, Pete, and once they hit the nine, 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 they just go, all right, well, that's a whole new case. Um, why, why are we why are we building a new watch? Yeah, yeah, it's a whole we, new case. We can't; it won't fit in a plaque anymore. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The other the other thing about buying that watch was um, one, it was because I wanted to you know buy a UN. But I think we also I said to you separately that you know I was in a position to be able, or would be very soon, be in a position to like just splurge and yep. buy something fast that wasn't on my list. And you were in a position to say, well. Here's something that you may never have considered. You know, would you? What would you do? And I rang you back and said, oh, "I'm going to find the money for that." <laughs> well, I, well, I think so. Things for me, I looked at. It, I was like, you know what? That actually really fits your collecting 
philosophy as well, right? And 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 you wanted something that was different. You wanted something that wasn't very common. And and this is this is both of those things. And if I may say, the value proposition on it was oh, was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, like you know, it was yeah, it was it was almost like if you didn't buy it, I was going to see what I could do to to get it across yeah. the line myself. You know, just because it's you know, I mean, rose gold. Uh, low production, great looking movement for the money that you paid. Uh, I just, you know, like, pfft, I mean, value yes. wise, it's insane. Um, percentage of retail wise, it was insane. Uh, anyway, so once again, wrapping up again. Um, <laughs> thanks, Anthony, for joining us. Um, we'll no doubt have you on again soon. Um, everyone, give Anthony a follow. Watch Lover AU um, for all that content, and we'll put up some photos of um, of um, some of Anthony's um, more interesting pieces over the you know when this episode goes out on the Instagram. Uh, Pete will share some photos of his lovely new watch on on our Instagram as well. Um, and look, if you have any suggestions of any other guests that we could reasonably accommodate please don't say get ryan gosling on the show because i'm telling you now that's going to be uh that's not going to work out for anybody um mostly not going to work out for us probably um <laughs> but if you know if anyone if any listeners want wants to be on the show now that we've actually figured out how to get people on the show um uh you know a bit of trial error um but you know, now that we figured that out, um, yeah, if anyone wants to be on the show, just ping us a message and we'll try and make it happen. Um, you know, tell us about you know what 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 you can um, you know what you want to talk about and um, you know any hot takes you may have, and uh, we'll try and fit you in. Thank you very much, guys, for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, mate. Cool. Well, Thank you very much. Well, thanks, guys. We'll uh, see you on the next one. Thank see you. ya. See ya.